Obscure and the Flat Out Strange from the other side of cinema. I am Mark Dickerson. And I'm Jeremy Fink. And with us today is a special guest, a friend of mine, and host of another podcast called Super Movie Bros. And his name is Dave. Hello, Dave. Thank you for that extremely uh, NPR introduction. I loved it. Well, that's what I was going for. Yeah. So. <laughs> we're very we're very um, formal here on Cult Movie Cult. Yes, very formal. Um, you invited the wrong guest. <laughs> Let me well, tell we, you. We thought we'd switch it up a little bit. This is the beginning of a new series. Uh, this one is called Lo-Fi Sci-Fi, and we are very excited about it. We are going to talk about, well, <laughs> low-budget sci-fi movies that uh, have a resonance in some way. And uh, we, we figured we'd start out with, uh, you know, we go from the highest budget to the lowest we thought that would be the most interesting way to go about this so we decided to start with thx 1138 from 1971 directed by george lucas what's wrong nothing nothing really i just feel that i need something stronger if you have a problem don't hesitate to ask for assistance yes thank you i'll be all right call three four eight five What's wrong? Never mind. 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 What's wrong? Take four red capsules. In ten minutes, take two more. Help is on the way. What's wrong? I want you to take a visual record of this. We found it in the patching cells. We killed it. All right, so Dave, since you're actually good at synopsis, <laughs> we're going to hand it over to you to, uh, to, to tell us what this movie's all about. All right. THX 1138 is about the already balding actor Robert Duvall, who bears his whole headpiece in the lead acting debut in George Lucas's inaugural outing as director in THX 1138. THX... Robert Duvall lives in a consumer-run world where workers are drugged to dull their senses and keep the workers focused on their tasks. But when worker designation THX 1138 and his bald lady friend LUH3471 decide to reduce their dose of worker B pills, they begin to feel again and rebel against a tyrannical system that is enforced by blank, silver-faced police. They then work together to seek a way out. So... That is uh, what the film is about, but uh, as we discussed before we started recording, we're going to talk more about aesthetic and, of course, the history, what went on behind the scenes. We think that's pretty interesting, um, you know, because a cult movie, you know, you don't necessarily expect George Lucas to show up uh, in, with that, but there he is. Uh, so this film was based on a short film that he made in 1967, which was actually a student film, while he was attending USC uh, School of Cinematic Arts. 
And it was actually originally a comic book before that that was being drawn by two other students there, and they wanted to find someone to make a film about it, and George Lucas stepped up to do it. So his student film was based on their short comic. So it was not his original idea. It was not his original idea, but he did have a lot of input Mm -hmm. once production started. He actually rewrote a lot of the script to fit their filming locations since they had to change locations throughout uh, the filming of the movie. And I I bet those young students who made their comic never... Saw three people talking about it uh, yeah. 40 years later, almost 40 years later, down right. the line, but, you know, or more than 40 years later. Hey, but, he let them be in the 30-minute documentary that chronicles the making of it. There you go. <laughs> yeah, there Something, you, go. you know. Yeah. Um, I, I do wonder if this is how George Lucas felt while he was in college, like if he felt alienated, felt oppressed, like his ideas didn't matter. Um, Because that's kind of the the feel that you get, obviously, from it when you watch it. Mm. Um, Obviously, his validation would would be coming. But at this point, you know, that wouldn't be for a while. So I feel like I wonder if that's, you know, if that's what connected with him with this film. That's an interesting idea, because I I, from what I know um, of this generation, you know, these are kind of the movie brat, New Hollywood generation, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, George Lucas, Coppola, Scorsese, De Palma. You know, those big guys who pretty much redefined what American cinema could be. And they were really the first generation of directors to go to film school. So it would be kind of interesting if we're, if we're thinking about George Lucas, you know, maybe, I, I mean, I don't know, I haven't heard anything about his personal feelings at that point. But if this was in some way an autobiographical, loosely autobiographical kind of thing, obviously, because it, it's, it's super, super abstract, mm-hmm. that, that, would be, that would be kind of an interesting thing. I, I had assumed it was until Dave just said that, it was. It wasn't based on his yeah. original idea. It was not so. his original idea, yeah. but I mean, something did draw him to it. And I'm if sure. You look, if you yeah. look at his first two films, you look at this and you look at American Graffiti. Mm-hmm. American Graffiti is 100% about rebelling. I mean, mm-hmm. it's about teens yeah. rebelling. It's about a night out in the town, mm-hmm. and that's, that's you know that that was like his entire world in the 1950s was mm-hmm. going out in the town and riding. That's what he calls it. He's, yeah. he's just go out and ride. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things I mentioned, I did watch the making of documentary, which is only about 30 minutes. One of the first things someone says is THX is George's allegory against consumer culture. It's a warning about what we stand to lose when consumer culture rules, rules us in the future. And I thought that that's extremely ironic that given, you know, in just under a decade, he would create Star Wars, retain the rights to the toy lines, and then make gangbusters and completely change the way that people consume yeah. movies. I mean, it's the most commercial. That. <laughs> franchise if you, it's the most commercial franchise basically maybe other than the avengers in the world right now maybe even yeah. more so than that so yeah and me yeah. and mark talked about this if, yeah. if you if you can't if you know to beat the man you have to be you have to man. be the man yeah. right it's the old it's the and, old uh, uh bret hart <laughs> <laughs> and he was definitely a it was a very smart business decision which at the time people looked at him like oh what are you doing like you know why wouldn't you just take the money yeah. you know it's a, but in the long run obviously it worked out for him so um yeah it was a very smart move on his part um but i understand what you're saying obviously going against the the idea of the of the film well everyone grows uh, up at some yeah, point yeah i mean so. it, it was, he was young idealistic you know in college um so it makes sense uh and before we go any further i do want to mention before we forget what the actual budget was uh, estimated seven hundred and seventy-seven thousand dollars. So, and that's the highest that we're going to be uh, talking about for the series. So, in in one in one benefactor and some great expectations esque mm-hmm. moment, it was all signed over uh, by by one person. And so. that one person was Francis Ford Coppola. Yes, uh, well, it, was, it was through. American... Go on to make uh, make make the Godfather in what a year or two. Just uh, Godfather was what nineteen seventy. He actually, yeah, I believe seventy two. 
72. 72. So, yeah. and I believe if I remember hearing it right, this was where he already knew of Robert Duvall and knew Robert Duvall, but seeing this film and having a working relationship with Robert Duvall is how he ended up being in The Godfather. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Francis Ford Coppola, I, I mean, at that point, it was a big deal because he was one of the those young directors. You know, at that point, most directors, the studio system was kind of just crumbling. Um, so, so it was really interesting because it was it was really a big deal for someone like Francis Ford Coppola at that point to have that kind of authority to go and produce a movie. Um, he had been directing movies since the early 60s, um, but most of them were kind of, you know, uh, I, I think he worked with Corman. I could be wrong on that. But, you know, it was kind of exploitation or goofy, yeah. like the bellboy and the playgirls, you're a big boy now, Finian's Rainbow. Um, but, but just the fact that he was this young director making these movies was a really big deal, and that gave him the authority and the agency to then go get behind his friend George Lucas mm-hmm. and say, you know, we're going to go make your movie. Uh, one thing we were discussing uh, about this is that so th- the contract that Coppola had was actually through um, Warner Brothers, mm-hmm. yeah. which, you know, that's one of the major studios. So the fact that even though it was a low budget, um, even in 1970, in 1971, you know, $700,000 still considered an extremely low budget. Um, the fact that a major studio would let these guys who were basically kids make a super, super experimental movie with a first-time director um, is pretty remarkable because I personally couldn't see that happening in today's cinema landscape. No. Uh, maybe maybe a, a really small independent production company. I could see maybe A24 you know, or, or, or someone like that getting behind a first-time director to make something wacky, but not Warner Brothers in a, in a million no. years. No, 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 no. <laughs> no. But you can see Amazon getting behind something like yeah. that and, and, and producing it. Like, they, or... like they've been doing for, mm-hmm. for things like The Big Sick and mm-hmm. stuff like that, which have gone on to big commercial success. And, mm-hmm. But, you know, and they have pretty small budgets by today's standards. But I think you are seeing studios move to a more lower budget. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm saying that, like, not not super low, but I mean, you got Todd Phillips with the Joker that's going to be coming out soon. That's going to be an extremely low budget for a comic book film. Mm-hmm. Uh, Deadpool was kind of done on mm-hmm. a shoestring budget compared to comic book films. And I think when you do that, you actually limit the production and you, you force them to tell a tighter story. But more focused. Yeah, that, mm-hmm. that winds up speaking to people a lot more. And mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that this that, that's what they did here with 1138. Because it's mm-hmm. honestly, it's it's not. This was not a focused story at it wants, all. It wants to be an epic, you can tell. Oh, it, yeah. it 100% does and and i think you could this really does when you watch this movie this feels like a recent grad like film student oh, yeah. film like this definitely feels like a first time yeah. director i mean it's but it is interesting that george lucas always had that mindset where it's like he was always the dreamer you know he always because he like we were just talking about like you can tell that the the ideas he had were bigger than the movie in a way yeah um, and the movie like, does feel big like that, that's what's big. crazy is and, and it's this weird thing that you you hear people talk about a movie feeling big which is a hard thing to describe because it's not necessarily that you know there are explosions on screen and it, it, there's just something that feels important about it um and even smaller movies like to me like reservoir dogs feels like a big movie but that's not i mean you know 
mm. even the use of like all white walls with yeah. bright fluorescent lighting actually opens up the <laughs> yeah. space and yeah. everything does feel really right. big. Like really when big, you watch yeah. this, you do feel like this mm. is some sort of, of sterile dystopian world. Mm-hmm. Like when you watch it, it doesn't yeah. look like $77,000. And, like, and the way it's shot, you know, with the really wide shots where Robert Duvall is really small in the frame and stuff like that, all of that helps to feel it, make it feel expansive. And yeah, I totally get that when I watch it. Can yeah. we talk about Donald Pleasance? Does anyone sure. else? Uh, does yeah. anyone else like really just? I don't know. I just love every performance he does, but I can't see him without thinking like pure evil. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, actually, you know, this is the part where we usually go into you know our general thoughts of the film. Uh, and Dave, since you're our guest, why don't we start with you? What do you What do you think? So my general thoughts in the film was, I mean, I remember the first time I saw it. I was probably like 2003. I was working at the now defunct Blockbuster. Ah, yes. Yeah. Rest in peace. And uh, it, it's something that like I'm walking by, like I'm putting movies back, and I think I put this back, and I was like, George Lucas? No way. What? And I think I rented this in American Graffiti like in the same yeah. night, and I went home and watched them. Two completely different movies. Two completely movies. different movies. <laughs> totally and different, honestly, yeah. they both feel like they were directed by different people Like when mm-hmm. you watch them. Um, but... But I remember like really liking the visuals, really enjoying like this world that was set up, but also being so utterly bored with it. <laughs> like I was I was bored with it. And then the third act happens. It's an awesome mm. chase scene. And I actually really found myself enjoying it in the third act. But you know, mm. up leading up to that, it was it was very strange. I was also in my late teens, so I cracked up at the idea of this magnificent device that goes over top of Robert Duvall's crotch and <laughs> just like, that was interesting I, I yeah found was... myself really wanting one of those when I was 17 <laughs> oh yeah who wouldn't <laughs> but no I mean I think it's an ambitious film uh, I'm not sure if it lived up to the ambitions of of a young George well, Lucas were you comparing it to Star Wars when you watched it or? no I don't think I was uh, at that point I had lived with Star Wars and Star Wars had been built up so much in my mind I don't compare anything to Star Wars anymore <laughs> mm. uh, that's not to say like I'm in fun, love with everything Thing, but you well, know. now I feel like everything is compared to Star Wars. Everything is. Yeah. Everything's yeah. compared to Star Wars and Marvel, and that's it. Mm. And Disney owns them both. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. so Jeremy, what 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 were your thoughts on the film? Um, so I think I connected to it on an aesthetic level. Um, I I thought it was really impressive. So so one thing that uh, we haven't touched on yet, and we'll, we'll just briefly touch on, is that there is a director's cut of this film that I believe was done in 2014. Um, by George Lucas, where they oh, no, went it was, back. Um, uh, it was 2004, 2004. 2004. I added a one. Same year as the ET director's cut. Okay, so <laughs> yeah, so I, I I added a one, but so so there is a director's cut of this film done in 2004, as Mark said, um, and there are all kinds of visual effects uh, with, with some CGI that were added, and that was the version of this that I saw, not knowing that that was the version I was watching. Yeah. So I, which was must have been mind-boggling when you. Yeah. Parts, you know? Yeah. So I so I was watching it thinking that all these effects were done in 1971, and mm-hmm. you know was totally blown away by that. Um, For when, the most part, it's it's pretty tastefully done, I would say. But yeah, obviously towards the end, you can tell you know with the CGI creatures and whatnot. Well, see, um, for me, I feel the same way watching this because I have seen both versions. I've seen you the, have seen both. I have seen. So the original okay. one, like I said, I watched it in 2003. So that was a VHS okay. copy that I rented right, so I from Blockbuster. So yeah. I saw the original, and I since have seen have seen i want to almost call it a remake but it's not but I, i've seen the director's cut with george's added stuff and and it reminds me a lot of the same stuff he did yeah. in uh empire strikes back to cloud city because cloud city has a very similar aesthetic it's, to yeah. a lot of these it's uh he added a lot more detail right. and uh, but it still feels out of place because yeah. it, it's, it's a movie from 1971 it's bright it's new and shiny and everything else <laughs> yeah. in there it's shiny but it's you know it's got a 19 mm-hmm. it's got a 1971 uh filter over Feel, it so. yeah. and, and and like star wars uh george made it very hard to find the original versions of these movie of this movie 
Uh, it's only on VHS and Laserdisc. So if you're having trouble finding those, then you're probably just going to watch this version, which we all watched. Um, and it's, it's the readily available version. So, yeah. uh, you know, he's uh, he's someone who likes to erase what he's done in the past. And I don't particularly agree with it. Yeah. But, funny um, funny because he was the guy that once argued for the uh, for the preservation of film because it, it, back then it degraded so quickly. Mm. He was calling for the preservation of film and everything like that. And mm-hmm. now he's the one that kind of goes in and changes it, but only his own, luckily. He yeah, didn't he, go in well, and he, change anyone else's. He's probably interested in the preservation of the films made by directors that he grew up watching and mm-hmm. probably would like to not see his experiments yeah. preserved it, it's like it's like how uh how i think it's uh michelangelo would uh hide all of his old sketches and drawings because no he didn't want anyone to see them he wanted them to think mm-hmm. he was just born this massive genius painting the sistine chapel <laughs> but yeah you know I mean, we, we all, all we have all delusions somewhere. of grandeur but yeah, yeah. I, I my opinion on that whole going back and changing what you did i mean my opinion is why you know because yeah. the way i think of it is jeremy and i both make films um dave you know you you're an illustrator you draw so we, we all do creative things artistic things i like to think my podcast is is and the, yeah creative yeah, you've you've sculpted a podcast <laughs> um my point is um so we all know that nothing is ever really done you put it out there because you otherwise you're going to sit on it forever so the fact that you, you could go up back and update it and make changes but you'll come back to it again in, in a few years and be like, oh, I want to change more. You know, it's just never going to end. So to me, it's pointless. I and have it, more crumpled and, up piece of papers than I do finished drawings. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and just because you, you can do it doesn't mean you should. Um, so in my, my opinion is like it is what it is. You know, you're influenced by your experiences at that time and the time period. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, it just doesn't make any sense. And especially when you're going to go and, and make it hard to find the original version. I think that, I mean, it's one thing if you want to update it and then have it released in two different versions, that's, you know, that's your prerogative, but to try to like get rid of or erase what you did before, um, mm-hmm. does, you know, that's, that's like erasing a part of history. So I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, what do you, how do you feel about that? Uh, I, I mean, I feel, I feel, I, I go back and forth um, because on the one hand, I, I think that it's great. I, I think that it's important to preserve what was created in the moment I don't really see an issue with going back and messing with something again years later um, as an exercise, but I don't think that the original thing should be destroyed because what, yeah. then you're losing that thing that was made in the moment. Um, you're, you're you're also hiding the process, and I think that that's yeah. people who love film like uh, like we do. I love going back and watching films that from directors that I love, the early stuff, mm-hmm. because I like seeing them planting their seeds and stuff mm-hmm. like that. You can see them grow. And, I, and yeah. I like, I especially love stories, and me and Mark talk about Sam Raimi a lot for some reason. We yeah. always bring up Sam Raimi, yeah. but I love the fact that Evil Dead and Evil Dead, Dead 2 are the films mm-hmm. they are based on their limitations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like those, those films exist because of their limitations. Exactly. And when you go back and you change it, 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 it kind of, you, you're kind of doing it with this retrospective eye mm-hmm. and you're changing it from a point mm-hmm. in the future. Definitely. And I, I don't, I don't always agree with that. Cause I think I like things the way they are because mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's the, that's the headspace they were then. So I like to go back and see like the headspace mm-hmm. of a director that I like, like I, yeah. I, I, and, I find and, myself doing that a lot. And to me, it's a never ending loop because you're never going to be satisfied. I'm right. sure George Lucas would like to go back to the star Wars movies that he updated and update them again because oh, he did for the Blu-ray release. Oh, did he? He added okay. a rock in front of R2, changed how Obi-Wan made a crate dragon call for like the 16th time. 
He added well, a rock. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And he he also he <laughs> also added uh blinking eyes on Ewoks. Super creepy. Just look it up. Why would he do that? It's super that? creepy. To uh, so, uh, a high definition rock. Okay. To right. to hark back to, to hark back to something Dave said a moment ago, which is something we're going to be talking about a lot in this series, uh, is the idea of limitations. Um, which as we get down from this obviously is the highest budget of the films we're talking about. Mm-hmm. As we get down to lower and lower, those limitations are going to come in and be something that's really important. Um, sure. Which I think that in in this, even though we're talking about how it was kind of uh, recut, Wait, a beach ball play an alien at some point. In a dark star, in a certain movie, we'll be getting there. We'll be getting there, yeah. Um, But but I think even in this film, you do see the limitation, and I think those are actually some of the stronger points of the film. Um, Just you know, in in kind of the the simple when when we're talking about this idea of a futuristic film, the the way it was kind of stripped down, and and rather than Lucas imagining this future where it's really busy everywhere imagining a future that's kind of more simplified which actually ended up you know i mean we're into the 21st century now almost two decades in and it, it ended up being a lot more of a simple aesthetic much closer to what was predicted by this than what was predicted by a lot of you know mm-hmm. the sci-fi films of the the 50s and, and a lot of the studio era the fact that this was lower budget i think kind of opened it up to yeah. maybe being more accurate to predicting where things might go than had they had a lot of money to throw at it and design these massive sets and well the fact that he went back and added more crowds and more people i mean that Mm -hmm. again that goes back to you're kind of going against what you were doing you know what i mean you're kind of going against the style that you had with this film um because i agree with you i think the stark simplistic look works a lot for this film speaking of style uh there's another director who kind of pays a lot of homage in one of this, in, in this to this movie in in a film called The Island. Michael Bay. Anyone see that? I'm, <laughs> no, I'm, not, I'm not kidding it. you. He actually, he I, actually, uh, a lot of that film was an homage uh, to a lot of the stuff from really? this okay. aesthetically, not not story. Michael Bay, you know, he's an auteur. He's an, yeah, he he's is a, at some <laughs> at some point he he saw himself as I'm sure. You know, he is without a doubt. The no tour in his own. It's a fact. <laughs> it's whether you, just you for, agree with uh, it or not. Just for shits and giggles, I looked up what a laser disc of uh, ele- uh, mm-hmm. THX eleven thirty eight. Uh, the bidding on one of them starts at sixty nine ninety nine. Just the cover alone is close to fifteen dollars, but they go up to one hundred and twenty, mm-hmm. two hundred and seven. It's an expensive laser wow. disc, man. That must be some fantastic menu screen for you, only sixty nine ninety nine. This laser disc could be yours. You should have stolen it from Blockbuster. I should have. They were on their way out anyways. We didn't have LaserDisc. We only had VHS. Well, still, even the VHS has got to be worth something, probably. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Maybe not as much as that, but... Well, Mark, you haven't really given your thoughts. You've kind of peppered in your thoughts with uh, with ours, but what... Well, I'm with you guys. I don't love this movie. It's not, you know, it's... But there is something to it, uh, as with many of these cult films. You know, I I would say, aesthetically, we talked about the aesthetics a little bit. Um, That whole surveillance footage aesthetic is kind of cool and different. And the whole starkness, the white, you know, white backgrounds and everything. Um, but I, I was thinking a lot about this and I, I was trying to, you know, reason why does this movie not connect so much with us or why I didn't feel connected to it. And I, I was thinking, like, maybe the movie is so cold and sterile that it it may be to its own detriment. You know what I mean? Like, I found it hard to connect and engage with. Is it, it because way. we live in the consumer culture that it warned us about? So <laughs> that, we no longer fear it. That could also be part of it. <laughs> you know? You're onto something there. Yeah. No, that was something I was thinking about as well, though, is 
Uh, and which is something for me, I mean, I'm going to be totally upfront, which is one reason why I'm really excited about this series. And one reason why I'm a little nervous is I'm not always a huge sci-fi person outside okay. of kind of uh, like camp sci-fi. I can get yeah. into that. Um, and, and a reason that I, I have a hard time connecting to it sometimes is that I, I can find it to be cold and too concept, concept driven, um, too technology driven, and sometimes it can miss character. Um, and I and I thought that the performance and performances in this movie were really beautiful, but yeah. and and maybe this is this is an intentional thing is that they don't really want George Lucas or whoever wrote the comic didn't want us to necessarily get character because it's kind of about the dehumanization decharacterization of you know us as human beings. Um, but then you come back to the idea that it is a film, and and it is telling this narrative story. So it's this kind of tough balance where. You want to give the humanity while also showing how the humanity is taken away. Yeah, it's it's almost the absence of personality or absence right. of. But I mean, I think the, the I mean the whole point of it is they discover humanity. I mean, mm -hmm. he discovers it between a woman's legs, which a, a young man <laughs> like George Lucas was really did. That was living. I mean, he said he liked to go out riding. What do you think riding meant? <laughs> yeah, you get you get you get in your fast car, you get your loose women, you go out riding. Yeah. But I mean, I, I I think that like the whole point of the movie is like it's humanity lost and humanity found mm -hmm. at the same time. Mm -hmm. uh, we see similar themes throughout like throughout like other movies and in other sci-fi. Uh, Blade Runner. Uh, I I would say Blade mm -hmm. Runner the 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 most character driven characters are the replicants yeah more so than anybody else you can we're not going to start a debate whether decker was a was was a replicant or not he was but <laughs> um you know you, you see that you see those there and then i also think of like alien where there really is no standout character in alien it's only after every all the rest of the characters are gone that you're like all right i'm gonna root for ripley because you were rooting for tom scarrett before that so i i think there i think you're there's something a little bit that's cold with sci-fi but sci-fi has to Good sci-fi has to have a balance. It has to. It really should. It should be focusing on a character in a sci-fi world. So things like Star Trek, where they do focus heavily on on the technology of things, on the political landscape of everything, and not so much on character. I don't get behind either. But some of the other films that I've named, stuff like that, I think that's that's instances of sci-fi done done the right way mm -hmm. character is always paramount in story for me mm -hmm. um and i think i think you're right in 1138 the character we don't really get to meet him we don't really get to know him there's well you know we, we get to see his awakening but other than that you know there's there's really nothing to draw you to him you root for him because he's the person that got the most screen time mm -hmm. but there is something about the performances i would say like the you know the absence of their their personalities is I found it kind of interesting to to watch them act in that, like having that in mind, like, all right, these people are trying to act like they don't have a personality. And that that's was just, I don't know, I thought that was interesting. Like 75% yeah. of Gosling performances. <laughs> don't say that in front of your co-host. Um, that's why I could say it here. <laughs> so I thought from that angle, I, I thought it was interesting um, just having that in mind. But yeah, it's a intentionally cold movie. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe this didn't help with your your enjoyment of it. Uh, Jeremy, but um, I mean, I guess it was pushed in such a direction that I don't know. Did did you find yourself and you said you did like the aesthetic? Yeah, before. no, I I really like I I think I love the experience of watching the film. I just didn't feel the emotional pull, so it was kind of like the the images were were really striking to me, particularly these big blank white spaces. Um, I I think you know Lucas uses a camera beautifully. Um, you know, the shots are, are really well composed. Um, 
but but it's one of those things where it, and and I I'm really into experimental film. I don't necessarily need a plot um, to be into to be into a film. It was just kind of and also I I think the the thing that kept coming to my mind while watching this was 1984. Um, and you know George Same Orwell here. in general, um, which I think is yeah, I mean, which is definitely a, a conscious thing I would assume on on the part of Lucas, and and it goes back to that though, where a, a book like 1984, and then I think there's a decent film adaptation if I remember correctly. Um, th- there is just there's that humanity where even though it's someone caught in a system, it feels like that person is consciously trying to break out. Um, and I think where I got kind of stuck on this one is it felt like our THX character. Uh, kind of was just going along with breaking out, and it wasn't until the very end that he really... It it didn't feel like he really had a desire to break out of it, which is interesting, but once again, in terms of creating a hero to get behind is a little guess I guess he wouldn't have that desire, though, you know, because the whole point is that their their emotions are being suppressed and everything. I was going to say, yeah, yeah, I mean, it it might literally be, and I don't know this for sure, but it might literally be instincts of humanity taking over once those pills start wearing off yeah he may not even understand why he wants to escape it's kind of animal it's it's just yeah yeah, it's just it's just the instinct of humanity he doesn't know why he wants to escape he just does to not want to be subjugated when someone stands up on a podium uh, over top of people there will always be people who don't want to be subjugated that's interesting when you when you have an attractive young lady as your roommate you know even bald she was beautiful yeah i mean maybe you have certain thoughts you know so yeah um I will I will say the last twenty minutes pretty thrilling uh, escape scene there, yeah. mm-hmm. and uh, I do enjoy that part. Um, and since we do have spoilers on the show, let's we'll talk about that ending. Um, the well, last... in case I don't see you, <laughs> good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Yeah, it's very. Tr- <laughs> it definitely reminded me of the Truman Show. Um, the way they're they're it's the same idea where they're saying you could stay here and be safe, or you could leave and risk the unknown. Well, exactly. And Truman didn't feel like a prisoner in his own world until he realized he was a prisoner. Right. <laughs> so same human general, nature. Yeah, human yeah. nature exactly. So interesting. Um, what do we think? Uh, to you know, to get a little speculative, what do we think? Thx. What what happened next for him? Do we do we do we dive into that? Yeah, immediate death once he breathes in the uh, radiation and toxic what fumes of the atmosphere. <laughs> Is that a fact? Was it toxic? Air? No, I just assume. You know. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a dark sci-fi yeah, type gonna, guy, yeah. so You're, he's a glass half empty kind of guy. Yeah. Well, that brings up an interesting question, though, of whether or not the the containment of these people and the way they're treated mm. can be looked for at as for good. their own good, or is it something that is to repress and to take their mm. money? I also I kept thinking about They Live, the John Carpenter movie as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Kind of this yeah. forced uh, consumerism. Mm-hmm. Um, but but we it, you know it's one of those things where is it for their own good? Does it kind of numb them to the the pain and challenges of mm-hmm. being a human being, or is it robbing them of essential human experiences? Right. Um, which I don't I have an answer to, but you know, I would go with. Well, I mean, it's a existential question, but yeah, yeah it's, it's prob- a bigger probably. Uh, I don't know. I would say like you know, it's every person's right to to be free, so. Mm-hmm. That's the way you look at it, but um, yeah, I mean, you, there's a lot of different ways you can look at it, and that's one of the great things about sci-fi. Usually, you know, you can have different interpretations to it. Yeah. Um, but that last shot is very beautiful, just from a aesthetic standpoint. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I I think uh, the way it was made, it, it's definitely a movie to to check out for sure. There's a pretty cool modern take on this idea uh, in a Black Mirror episode. Uh, I think it's like one million downloads, something like that. It's where uh, the guy from Get Out, 
is uh, that you you have to perform, and the more likes you get, the oh, more people yeah, you get, yeah. the more the more clicks you get, the more like more money you get to spend in your in your internment <laughs> in there. And it's uh, but it's really interesting because I I feel like that in itself is is very reminiscent of this kind of like a modern tale where it's like mm-hmm. we're worried about consumer culture now we're worried about the reality tv culture like mm-hmm. stuff like that so I, I always love how film at the time that it's made is is really uh it, it could only exist at this time like it's only it's only poignant which at is, this time which so. is why you shouldn't go back and make changes <laughs> yeah that's, that's very true amen uh, my argument. So was there was there for each of you a particular image? I know we like to talk about this sometimes. A particular yeah. shot, a particular moment, moment. that really yeah. kind of stuck with you after the credits rolled. It's when Robert Duvall and the uh, and the three the three silver faced police officers, the the three robot police officers, have him, and he's got like that stick, and he's trying to he's just trying to like keep them at bay. Mm-hmm. Right. Like yeah. he's still fighting, even though he's he's done in. He's going to jail. He's getting caught no yeah. matter what. But he's done it. There is like, something about like futile about it. Yeah. yeah. But like it, it does this this beautiful like wide shot from from above looking down slightly down on him as he's fighting these these three beings that are basically standing over top of him. But I I really liked it because I it, that always stuck with me because his attempt at escape still seemed futile, but mm-hmm. he still fought anyway yeah and as we discussed here I, i'm not even sure if he knew why he was fighting it didn't even seem like there was a lot of fight in him right um it may have just can they didn't have the budget for a fight choreographer <laughs> but <laughs> but still but it's still yeah. yeah i think i think that's the scene that that always stuck with me the most that and 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 honestly the love scene between between mm-hmm. him and luh uh mm-hmm. i i always thought that was a very very it's we're to say tasteful but like 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 a very tasteful and very well done scene mm-hmm. of of those two together for the first time when they're in jail. Mm-hmm. I think the scenes in the uh little makeshift confessional uh, mm-hmm. those scenes for some reason I don't they they spoke to me there's something very deep about that that I didn't you're, even I forgot about you know because I had seen the movie. It's because you're a Catholic and I'm a Catholic. We get that. Well, <laughs> we get the dread of walking into a confession. Not a practicing, but yeah. no, not anymore. No. Um, God no. So it, it's, if anything, it scares me <laughs> walking into one of those. So something about that, just uh, you know, that that is oppression right there. You know, just that whole, and then trying to make them feel like they have hope. You know, just something about that just spoke to me. And uh, also the scene where uh, Sen S E N. Donald Pleasance, uh, for some reason that scene where he pure evil, he's uh, <laughs> where he's fighting Michael Myers now. When he uh, he's with a, I guess he's a monk. I didn't know this until I read the description of it. But there's a monk there, and um, he doesn't have his identif- identification badge on him. And the monk's saying, "You can't be here," and you know you're you're going against the rules. And and then uh, Donald Pleasance attacks him. And then he kind of just sits there and waits for the the, the police to come and get Calmly. him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just something like that's his one moment of acting out, and I just thought that was kind of cool. It was different, yeah. um, especially because you almost expected it to end with like a travesty or something really bad happening to him, but no, just ends just a quick little thing. He just just sits there and waits. Yeah, Great. so there's something yeah. something about that. How about for you, Jeremy? What any uh, moments that stuck out? So for me, it would also be the the confessional. Um, yeah. I think there's that was the darkest thing in in this entire thing. It's just that it's like this state-sanctioned religion, you know. People, people, like the idea, the idea that they have to have faith when none of they're not making, and they have to confess mm-hmm. when they're not actually really making any of their own decisions, anyways. Yeah. And, and they're not even really confessing to a human being; they're just confessing to basically a picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, to me, that was just there was something just extremely. Yeah. That I, that was kind of the whole story to me, right there. 
It's like go in this booth and pray to the you know just no. it's just it's just like them just, just telling them to do it. They no. don't even know why they're doing it. Because the things that Robert Duvall is saying in there, they don't even really make sense. He's kind of muttering yeah. to himself about the masses and, and things like that. It's it's pretty nonsensical. So I thought that was uh, I don't, something about the juxtaposition of that was yeah. was really interesting. I thought. Well, it's also just the most personal thing. I mean, I'm not religious, but as a human being, you know, the most personal relationship yeah. that someone who is religious has is between them and God or them and whatever energy or spirit they believe, they believe in, in. and yeah. so the fact that it's it's a forced thing and they're talking to nothing but it's an illusion and they think that they're talking to something it's basically robbing them of any kind of connection with anything you know that they, they, they don't really connect to other people they're not even allowed to connect to a deity they're not really allowed to connect to themselves so it's just well, this I mean, total lack of any can connection they, can you connect to a higher power if you're no longer human uh, if the drugs make you make you dull, I mean, can they can they connect? Or you know, uh, you know, you're asking someone to go into a confessional and bear their soul. Maybe that's why he's muttering because he doesn't even know what to bear. He doesn't yeah. even know what to feel bad about. He doesn't even know what he what what sins he committed because he doesn't have a soul anymore. I mean, mm-hmm. as he's lost his humanity by taking those pills, mm-hmm. it, it robs them of that. So I think that 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 you know is sad in itself. Where I think people always look to religion for 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 answers or, or even just to feel a certain way Mm -hmm. but when you're taking drugs to numb how you feel you can't even you can't even turn to that Mm -hmm. yeah no that's really sad yeah the whole the whole thing whole movie was pretty pretty bleak it's very bleak yeah bleak is a good word to describe it bleak and i would say i would say it's 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 a interesting film and it's a memorable film Mm -hmm. um but it's not necessarily a fantastic Mm -hmm. film but it's certainly one to make you discuss about one hour and 11 minutes and 38 seconds on yeah. Well, that's that's not actually how long we've been recording. <laughs> I'm kidding. That's just I'm what kidding. my I'm my counter says um, on my recording thing. No, but it, but so. it is it is something that that you can it it is a film that that warrants discussion. I would say, yeah. even though it's nothing spectacular, or fantastic, there's enough there that warrants discussion. You can really see you really see a lot that was put into it. The imagery alone. I mean, if nothing else, you know, just yeah. just the imagery is iconic i think at this point and the place it holds in the history of cinema because without this film you know george lucas probably doesn't have the you know power to go direct american graffiti and if he doesn't even have a hit with american graffiti he probably can't get money for star wars and so this was a big oscar nomination two oscar nominations for american graffiti too yeah uh best picture and best director so without that without this you don't get that without that you don't get darth vader although thx did technically fail right i mean it did it was a failure at the it was a 2.4 million dollars it made at the box office yeah but i i think within within movie circles it was probably considered to be a more impressive Mm -hmm. feat especially for a really young first-time director um and it made made some money yeah yeah but that might have been like you know up until now i don't when it first came out francis ford coppola bought all the tickets (laughs) (laughs) he bought all the tickets sure george i'll go see your movie buddy (laughs) two and a half million times (laughs) no no but i just mean i just mean the fact that he kind of established himself as you know yeah there are a lot of confidence to yeah yeah. it it got him to that point yeah so um yeah you have anything else to add dave about this film or about george lucas or where he went from here and Obviously, he went a lot of places, but uh... no, I mean he he, he did. But I, I would say, like, I think I th- I do think you see a lot of the empire here, right? Mm-hmm. You okay. see you see a, a lot of 
you know, the seeds being planted for a tyrannical rule mm. that mm. would uh, enslave an entire, you know, nation of people and stuff like that. But instead, like, th- this is the story that that George tells, where there is no, uh, how do I put? It? There is no, there is no hero with with thousand faces, right? There's no, there's there there's no rising up of of a of a people. It's more of just like a rising up of one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and and but there's something beautiful in that in yeah. a way. But I, I do like seeing like these cold and these sterile hallways and stuff like that and immediately thinking of things like Cloud City and yeah. the Death Star yeah. hallways yeah. and stuff like that. You know what this, and uh, even the trench run with yeah. the with the yeah. with the chase in the park. The cars, yeah. You know what this kind of is is like the story of a stormtrooper. If you didn't, yeah. if you didn't know everything, this is like a stormtrooper who's just brainwashed into. Hey man, Finn Finn could be THX eleven thirty eight. Yeah, no, that, that's interesting. That's an interesting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, Mark, but as as a as a document of of a filmmaker, um, an early you know, in, in one of his early films, I think, yeah, like you said, it's at, I think that's what's most important about this movie is just seeing George Lucas at this point in his career, you know, uh, starting out what he had in his mind at this point, and then where he went from there. I, I think is really interesting, and what he was able to pull off, and what he was able to pull off with with the budget, which was extremely low, but for us, the highest budget that we've the highest budget about. that we're talking about. Um, but that will wrap it up for us today for this episode. Uh, Dave, before we leave, where can we find your uh, other podcast? Yeah, so you can find Super Movie Bros uh, with myself and my co-host Jay. Also, coming back will be Movie Cocktail on there. So once a month, you'll hear Mark on Super Movie Bros as well. You can find us on all uh, podcatchers. That is iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, wherever you like to go to listen to podcasts, you can find Super Movie Bros. You can also reach out to me on Twitter at Super Movie Pod on there. So uh, yeah, there's just some places where you can find me. Check out some of the stuff that we're up to. Cool, it was fun. Yeah, thanks, it absolutely. Thanks for was by. Thank you. I'm not the not the film I signed up for, but no. actually really happy that we talked about this. So well, uh, if you want to come back and talk about Dark Star, you're more than welcome. <laughs> We're going to talk at least a half hour about the beach ball alien. Yes. Awesome. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks for tuning in. This has been Cult Movie Cult. Uh, And you can find us on iTunes and Podbean, as well as on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. If you have any cult films you'd like to hear us discuss on the show, please feel free to reach out to us at cultmoviecult at gmail.com. And join us next time. We'll be continuing our series, Lo-Fi Sci-Fi. We will be discussing Liquid Sky. It's going to be a weird one. All right. This has been Cult Movie Cult. Until next time, so long from the other side.